Today's first scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 1, verse 1 to 7, and can be found on page 884 of the Church Bibles. That's Daniel 1, verse 1 to 7. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mishael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. This is the word of the Lord. Today's second scripture reading comes from Daniel chapter 1, verses 8 to 17, and can also be found on page 884 of the Church Bibles. That's Daniel 1, 8 to 17. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young man your age? The king would then have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young man who eats the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guards took away their choice foods and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. This is the word of the Lord. We'd like to welcome each one of you here today. Thank you for <clears throat> making the effort to be with us in person today. 
as the Lord is giving us this, at the moment, sunny day. It's very beautiful. Thank you to the Lord. Also, thank you who are joining us via Zoom. We appreciate also the effort you're making to, whether you're traveling or for some reason unable to attend in person, to also attend in that way. Thank you for that. And just to say that we love to greet you personally whenever it's possible for you to be here. This morning, as we continue this sermon series called Foundations, uh, just to remind us, and maybe if there are those who knew among us, this is a sermon series looking at several different persons from the Old Testament. And why it's foundations, or that name is used, is simply that these persons, as we look at them, are key people in the Old Testament. There are many more. We're only doing seven sermons. And if you've been here, you realize that some of those are over four or five, four books of the Bible is the largest one. And I am not known to be short in anything, when coming to preaching, I mean. And, uh, but it has gone well. But why we look at them is this. As we look at their story, as we read their lives, as we begin to understand how God worked in and through them, then we receive in our own understanding, in our own comprehension, is this is more of who God is. And we see how God revealed himself to them and how God worked in their lives, and what answers God brought, and how they, in response to the Lord's working, lived their lives within the culture and time that they lived. And then, of course, we've also not only seen that and looked at how God revealed himself and how they responded and what that meant in their lives, but we're also looking at how then does the rest of the Bible use these persons or these examples, these lives, as both an illustration or an example or sometimes a note of this is what it is going to be like or in some cases take not only their lives or their uh, experience but also take the very spiritual principle which is engaged by them and uses it in the New Testament as something that defines what and how we believe in 2023. Uh, a few weeks ago, we talked about Abraham. For example, there, Paul in Romans chapter 4 takes that verse out of his life, found in Genesis 15, verse 6, where it says, And Abraham believed God, and God credited it to him or gave it upon his record or upon his account as righteousness. Or uh, Paul will also take Adam and Eve and he will say, as all men in Adam died, so too in Christ all come alive. In Romans 3, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or Paul again and in the book of Ephesians, takes the relationship of Adam and Eve, and he quotes out of there saying, and for this reason, the Bible says, 
quoting back from Genesis, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cling to his wife, and the two will become one. This new entity of not just two humans, but one new entity in marriage. And so it defines those things, and the scriptures do that again and again by referring back to these persons, their experience of God, and how God worked in their lives as examples, as illustrations, and often as the basic spiritual principle by which our faith and our relationship with God works. Wow. And often you will see this in the New Testament. They do not go into great detail repeating it, but they will simply say maybe a short phrase or refer to the person and say, that's why it's like this, expecting each and every one of us who are believing and following God to know these accounts. Actually, I had a lovely five-minute visit to Bible at 10 this morning. Um, and it only took five minutes until they asked, well, pastor, what do you think about this? That's why I love to just be on the outside. They were studying, and I'd encourage you to study with them, Psalm 22. It's this, this amazing moment when Jesus on the cross quotes the first verse of Psalm 20, 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And immediately, the Pharisees who had memorized Psalm 22, remember in that day and age, it was not called Psalm 22. The way you identified a psalm is you quoted the first verse. And he quotes the first verse. And then the Pharisees say, they quote this verse, and they quote this verse. Well, if that's true, then this. You see, they knew it. And so, too, they become then foundations for us here. Now, Today we want to continue in these foundations and particularly as the Lord has used things like this to give examples for us, I want us to study today the book of Daniel or the person Daniel. We've heard the children's message, appreciate that very, very much. But also as we think about the New Testament references to these persons, particularly the writings of Daniel or the quotes from Daniel, also reappear in the New Testament. They are quoted by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 or Mark 13 as his disciples ask him the question, Lord, how do we know? How are we to be aware of and be alert to your return or the ending of time? And, and there he quotes from this, this that Daniel is going to be writing in the last two chapters about the abomination of desecration that's going to happen. And he says, and when this happens, be ready. Now, of course, there is that fulfilling that happened as the Romans came and set up that desecration. But then he also talks about the end of the age and repeats something similar. Now, this morning, I would not know how to define and tell you exactly what that was. All I'm saying is Daniel is quoted by the Lord Jesus as, when this happened, then. But also another one that is quoted often from the book of Daniel is, you will see at the end of the time the Son of Man coming in the clouds. I think six different times in the New Testament, 
not only the Lord Jesus, but others, John quotes it, and Paul quotes it right from Daniel. And one of the things about Daniel is Daniel is a beautiful book, but the structure of it is almost amazing. It's 12 chapters. And six chapters deal with Daniel and his friends living as believing people in a non-believing culture. And then it moves the second half of the book, chapters 7 through 12, are all these visions that have been given to Daniel and the interpretation or the explanation of those visions. And that's what is quoted and in the New Testament. But the struggle that many who read Daniel come away with, particularly in some of our different theological ideas, is you see, if you read through his explanation, his revelation of what is going to happen from the time they leave Babylon until the coming of the Messiah, you can actually trace through and he identifies this kingdom and then this kingdom and then this kingdom and then he even says something so specific as the king from the north will come together with the queen from the south. And when you read history, the king of the north made an agreement through the family from the queen of the south. So exact. And so many reading it said, this has, this is so exact, it must be written post-event. But see, the book of Daniel begs that very question. Is God alive? And is that God who's alive desiring to be our personal God? And is he so personal that he can reveal to us that which we do not yet know? That could be as simple as, oh God, what is your will for my life? To as complex as, what will happen at the end? And how does eternity work? And so we see that so that is at the end of the book. And there's this beautiful moment, you know, where he gives, it's probably all of you have read about the 70 years that Jeremiah had prophesied, and he's reading Jeremiah, and he comes to God, and he says, oh God, the time is almost finished. Must have been an old geezer at that point. Just thinking about it myself. But he prays, and then suddenly God sends an answer. And then in that answer, God takes this concept of 70, and if you study Daniel, you'll find eventually he says, this is the way it's going to go, and he takes the 70, and we don't have time to go into it, but he divides the 70, takes 7 plus 62, and then a gap, and then 1 to make the 70. And he says, at, at this point, the Messiah is cut off, and at this point, then these other things will happen at the end. So amazing. That, um, and many of you will study that, and I would invite us to maybe have a discussion group over a gallon of coffee, or that's approximately four liters of coffee. And the reality is I come back with this hope as Jesus says in Matthew 24, no one knows the hour, but God the Father determines that. But be ready. Be ready. As you see the times approaching. Now, 
Therefore, I'd like to take the rest of our time this morning and look at what set up Daniel in chapters 1 through 6 to be able to have these type of visions and interpretations and a relationship with God to the level that God speaks to him like that. You see, chapters 1 through 6, if the main concept within the whole book is to show again and again that God Almighty, the God of heaven, the Most High God, is alive, and that God becomes our personal God. We express our faith by the way we trust Him, and that God is able to speak and reveal to us these truths. If that is the concept in the book, then these first chapters which deal with Daniel and his three friends will explain or lay a basis for that. And as was explained to us and read to us in that first chapter of Daniel, Daniel enters this account because he is one of those really bright, intelligent, attractive, capable, able Jewish young men who are carried from Jerusalem or taken literally and brought as captives into Babylon. Now, that judgment of God upon that nation came because if you read Jeremiah, in my devotional readings, I've just been reading through the book of Jeremiah again these last weeks. And oh my, again and again and again, the prophet Jeremiah says, if you don't change, it's coming. And they did not change, and it came. And Daniel, due to nothing that he had done, but the providence of God was chosen to be moved from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, actually, if you were a young gentleman at that time with that amount of brilliance, to leave Jerusalem would have been difficult, but to come to Babylon would have been amazing. Jerusalem was intelligent, but Babylon was the hub of progressive thought at that point. There's a lovely river that flowed through. Their engineers had designed a way that they could take water that was flowing in a river, and they had hanging gardens which were famous and ancient fame that were watered by the river that was below the gardens. They knew how to do it. They had every type of study, from physical studies and sciences to the universe to spirit world. You'll find in chapter 2, as the king wants them to interpret his dream, he calls in professors from this realm and from that faculty and from the other faculty to tell him this. So there's where Daniel and his three friends end up. Now, what I want us to gather as we look at this is that as was read to us, they come and they said the kings, they were brought to serve the king's palace and he was to teach them the language, the literature of the Babylonians. And what happens here is they are moving young men, these three or four that have been chosen and any others, is they are taking out of them their Jewishness, their Israelites, and they are turning them into Babylonians. How do you move that and someone from here to here. 
one of the first lessons about culture, isn't it? He says the first thing you're to teach them, these brilliant young men, is language. Now, what happens when we are taught a new language? It affects the way we think, doesn't it? Now, my German is not really all that great. It's kind of a dinglish, wienerisch mixture. I can basically express whatever I want to, and most people will understand. I don't have much problem understanding either, as long as it's spoken things. But when I get into an official document with bureaucratic language, I find that I don't have all of that. But what has happened over the years, it has changed because German is so logical. It has changed the way I even speak English. You will notice as I preach, I preach English in a German structure. I will say the Hauptsatz, the main idea, and then I'll, I won't say das or der or die, but I will then use a Nebensatz, a clarification phrase. And if I don't think you've got it by then, I will say another das with another clarification phrase. I am better than I was when I went back from Austria to the States. But, you see, it's changed the way I think. The very first thing that culture did to Daniel and his friends was that the king knew they needed to change the way they thought. Secondly, it taught them literature. What does literature contain? It contains your history, and it contains your values. Whether it's poetry or a short story, or whatever it is, or just the history of a nation, it not only gives you the background, but it actually gives you the values. So they were changing from Jewish thought and Jewish values and trying to make him into Babylonian. And then they gave them new names, it says is the third thing. That very thing, they took away their identity, because if you trace through Daniel and the three friends, each of their names has a meaning which relates to God, the Jewish God, the Almighty God, and they were given new names which all have expression of a relationship with one of the Babylonian gods. It was very clear the clash, the change, is not so much about who they are, but the God they believe in. And then fourthly, of course, they were fed food, from the king's table. Now that would have meant they ate very, very well. But in that moment, there is this incredible verse 8 where it says, And Daniel resolved not to defile himself. And we look at it and say, Well, why would you defile oneself by eating the very best food? I'm just thinking, wow, some of the very best food, but I don't dare say what I would think because certainly I'll offend someone. But just think about that. Whatever you thought was the very best in the kings, why would that defile a person? Well, I, the only way, and if you read the commentators, what most will say is because just like we as Christians, before we eat, we tend to bow our head and we give thanks to whom? Because why? He has provided and asking him to bless it to us. 
We are not only acknowledging God and acknowledging that it comes from him, but we're asking him to be actively participant and working in our lives. And all I would say is this, living in 2023, have you ever noticed in any time we live that the culture around us tries to influence how we think? It then changes and tries to influence what our values are. And then ultimately will cause us and challenge us on our very identity of being God's people. Last week, I am so old, I still remember Simon and Garfunkel's song, The Sound of Silence. There's a little bit in there where it talks about the prophets say the writing is on the... Thank you. I'm not the only one who remembers. And then the people bow and they worship the neon gods that they have made. You see, this is culture. Culture is very much coming against our relationship with God. Now, that doesn't mean that culture is necessarily bad. No, no, no. You look and you see in verse 17, we read about these four young men. God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams. And if you go on and read the next verses, when the king examined them, he found out that they were ten times better than any of the others in Babylon. They were brilliant. They were the most effective. Daniel himself served as the highest civil servant in four or under four kings. Two of them Babylonian and one Mede and one Persian. How have you ever had any person in history who's been the highest civil servant for th three different kingdoms? These were qualified men. And where the struggle came was their belief, their faith. How in 2023 do we live out the reality of God in our lives? Before I leave chapter 1, could I just ask you this? Is there anything in 2023 in the thoughts, in the values, and in the very identity that causes us to be, Daniel's word, word defiled? And I'm not being judgmental, I'm not trying to point anything out, but we'd have to take out of this chapter that there will come a moment as we live godly and as we live in a culture that may be moving away from God, then we must understand that we come to a moment when there are certain things for which we will have to stand what God shows us. And then if you follow through these next chapters, chapter 2, of course, is this incredible vision, and I'm certain all of you have seen pictures or uh, of this dream that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has. And it's, a, you know, a statue has a golden head, it has silver, then it has bronze, then it has iron, then it has clay and iron mixed, and then comes this stone 
this large stone that comes, it says it was not carved by humans, but it came literally from God. And it crushes all of these, and then it says it has an eternal kingdom as it's interpreted. And there's a very interesting account. You find that he has the dream, and then he calls in, it says, and he calls in those that were there from Babylon. He calls the wise men. He calls in those who are magicians, who are enchanters, who are astrology. All of those intelligent faculties he calls in, and he tells them this, I want you to interpret for me my dream. And they all say, well, king, if you tell us a dream, we will tell you what it means. He, being a very wise king, said, no, if you, can, if you tell me the dream, then I will know you're for real. And they all say, well, listen to this. They all say, the king asked something that is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. Even at that point, people said, there is something beyond which we are capable of doing. And they go on, and, and as it comes, of course, then he's going to kill off all the wise people and start over again. And then Daniel asks to have an appointment, and Daniel and his three friends meet for prayer, praying through the evening. And during that time, they're asking, oh God, would you give us the dream? Would you reveal to us this mystery? Would you reveal what he has seen? And then reveal to us the meaning. And listen to what happens as God does that. Listen to verse 29, what it says, and, or 23, excuse me. There I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. Look what's happening. All of a sudden, this man, this Daniel, who by the providence of God has been given this brilliance and chosen to live in Babylon and become one of the highest rankers of, in Babylon society and yet believes in the reality of God, but that belief is back there. Listen to what he says. Oh, God of my ancestors, suddenly the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of Moses, has become his God. Because he says, because you have given me the wisdom and the power. You have made known to me what I ask of you. You have made known to me the dream of the king. There came this moment within his life when God moved. It was undeniably God. It was beyond his capacity. And he saw God do it. And at that moment, there's this sense where the God of the fathers has become his personal God. And you know how the account ends. But chapter 3 takes on his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The king puts up an idol. Do you notice? The society cannot defeat them because of their brilliance. They are ten times better than any other. And every attack comes against the God they believe in and their faith. Listen to what they say. Of course, he says, if you don't bow down and worship the idol or this that I made, I will put you in the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. The God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us your from your majesty's hand. You know, immediately Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego realized the battle was not them and society. The struggle was he, this God that was a statue and the reality of God. And they believed in the reality. 
That's where the battle was. He will deliver us from your hand. And if he does not, we still want you to know we will only serve him. A little while later, it's so exciting. I want you to read this when you go home. The king, it says, got so excited, he looked into the fiery furnace. He leaped, it says, to his feet in amazement and asked his advisor, didn't we just put in three? Why do I see four? And the fourth looks like a son of God. That gave the king an impulse. And in that, he comes out and says, eventually Nebuchadnezzar says, praise the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel because they trusted him. We don't have time to go into all of the others, but there are a warning, and finally we just have to say, of course, the reason you all know Daniel is because Daniel in the lion's den. You see, again, the struggle. If you read that in the background of chapter 6, it will say the wise men wanted to get rid of him because he was ten times better than any of them. And they said that they could not take him out in his faculty. The only place they could take him out was their, his weakness which was his faith. Isn't that interesting? Culture thinks that faith is a weakness. And so they attacked him there. They got a new law, the Medes and Persians, written that anyone who didn't worship this one and prayed in any way. And so Daniel, of course, goes and he prays and they report him. And you read that story as the king didn't realize it was going to impact his number one civil servant, Daniel. And he says, Daniel, certainly the God you continually serve will save you, rescue you. And then he puts him into the lion's den. And in the morning, it says he doesn't sleep all night. That's the king. He runs to the lion's den and he shouts out, Daniel! And listen to what he says. Was your God, whom you continually serve, able to rescue you? The question isn't, was it Daniel and his education and his value to the kingdom? The question came down to the God Daniel worshipped. Is he alive? Is he able? And the wonderful answer, Daniel, yes, O king. My God was able. He sent an angel, shut the mouth of the lions. Why does this preacher get so excited about all that? I think in 2023, dear people, we need a God who is able, the Almighty, to be our personal God whom we trust, but also that God who is able at that moment of need to reveal to us the truth. And is able! In this postmodern world, I've said it several times, but I want you never to forget our concept of God is diminished and diminished until we have such a small concept, even among us who call ourselves Christians. And what Daniel and his friends tell us again and again, is God is big. He's able. You see, and when we trust him there, it is worked out in our lives. So, what do we take home? Chapter 1 is there anything that is active in your life, wherever it comes from, that is defiling? I don't know, and I'm not trying to be judgmental, but it's good for all of us to take a moment and just examine. Is there anything in life out of chapter 3 where we are worshiping 
other than God Almighty. In chapter 6, where the very expression of our faith is being forced into a smaller mold. All I would say, we let us take that out and as we bow and pray this week, ask that the God of Daniel be our God. And then see how he works. Let's pray together as we close. Father, thank you again for these verses that you have in the book of Daniel. We know, Lord, that all of us at some point in our life and our faith are interested in those last six chapters because they talk about the coming of the end, how we can recognize and what we can do. But, Lord, the reality is if we ignore the truths of the first six chapters, we will never understand the second set. And so I pray for each one of us here today that our understanding of you and the revelation of you that you give to us will be so true and so strong that we will know that the God Almighty has become our personal God. And we will trust you and live out those expressions of trust in the way we live our lives and faith in today's world. And Lord, to do that, we need your wisdom. We need your strength. And there are going to be these moments, Lord, when we need you to do that which we cannot do, for you to reveal the mystery, to you to work as only God can work. And I ask in the name of Jesus that you do that for us in this year, 2023. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.